0: If you would, please take your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter number 6. Judges, chapter number 6. I'll give you a little bit of introduction as far as understanding kind of what the book of Judges means, kind of what's gone on up to this point. It will be helpful as we study Scripture today. Judges is a very unique book. It actually begins at the end of Joshua's ministry. Now there's been a lot go on in Israel's history in the years leading up to j- Judges being uh, written down. And what we've got to understand is this is after Moses, this is after Egypt, this is after the 40 years wilderness, this is after all of that. And it's at the conclusion of Joshua's ministry. He's no longer the young man that we met back when he was kind of serving and helping Moses. He's an older man and his ministry is now coming to a close. And if you'll remember, one of the things that Joshua was uh, tasked with was taking the children of Israel into the promised land, something that Moses desired greatly to do, but God said that Joshua would be the one to do it. And at the beginning of the book of Judges, we see Israel is following after God. Joshua is leading them. They're doing what we would want Israel to do and what God would want them to do, and they're, they're really uh, defeating all their enemies. They're driving folks out. And it's really the theme or the, the feeling behind it is that God is just empowering them to accomplish whatever He wants them to accomplish. They're driving out all the inhabitants of the promised land. It was God's promised land for the children of Israel. So anybody stood in their way, they're able to drive them out. With the exception of just a few And there's one specifically that says they had iron chariots and so the children of Israel could not drive them out. And I think it oftentimes speaks to our faith when we let something like an iron chariot stand in the way of God's power allowing us to accomplish things in our life. You see, there's nothing that can stand against God, whether it's a giant, whether it's an iron chariot, whether it's a mountain we have to climb. God's power is sufficient in our lives and it will help us do whatever He wants us to do, but yet the children of Israel let... Iron chariot stand in their way. Uh, after chapter one, we get the sense that they're just okay with the people staying around these inhabitants in the in the land. They're not they're not driving them out anymore. In fact, it's kind of like they're willing to befriend them. In fact, they put them to tribute, the Bible says. In other words, they think they're stronger. They think they're more dominant. So what they're going to do is they're going to say, you got to pay us to live on our land because this is God's promised land for us. They're in control. And isn't that the way it is in the Christian life? We feel in control of something until we're not in control of it anymore. And what happens is the tribute no longer is being paid and Uh, The children of Israel are now intermarrying with those that were in the land. And the real problem with that was Israel became idolatrous. They began to follow after the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth. It's really a sad story. And generation passes and then another generation passes after Joshua dies. And the Bible says the children of God have pretty much forgotten completely about him. They've completely abandoned him as far as the one whom they're worshiping. There's no thought of God at all. And so God delivers the children of Israel into the hand of all these inhabitants of the land. They are now no longer getting paid tribute, but now they're the ones paying tribute. They thought they were in control, but man, have the tables turned... And God put those inhabitants in the land as a thorn in the side of the children of Israel. After a while, they began to cry. They began to complain and say, Lord, this is just too much for us. And so God, in His mercy, raised up judges. Now these are not like the, dun-dun, in the U.S. criminal court. Not like, it's not like that. It's a judge was a leader, sometimes a military leader. But he was the exact kind of leader that they needed at the time. And God raised up men and women even to help in leading them out of these situations where these inhabitants were afflicting them. We pick it up in verse number 1 of chapter number 6 and we find God breaking the news to just a concerned young man that he would be the next judge. The Bible says in verse 1, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains, and caves and strongholds. So it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites. And the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But ye have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash, the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress, to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Verse number 3 is where our entire text will be found. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much, and I thank you for the great opportunity you've given me to uh, preach and speak your word this morning. I pray that you would help. Lead me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I personally believe that we are, of the people of the earth, most blessed. We have so much material uh, goods. We rarely ever, if ever, are concerned about where our next meal is from. And if we do face that question, it's really, which restaurant do we go to? We, you know, Christmas time rolls around and our children, I mean, I'm to the point now where I have to build more house to put toys in the house. Maybe some of you are there with me. Uh, sure, some of our cars have issues. You remember two weeks ago I was preaching and I said something to the effect of, "My car doesn't have to break down, why? Or your car doesn't break down, why should mine? Guess where my truck is this morning? It's in the Dodge dealership in Eastland, Texas, because it broke down. Okay, so uh, I gotta watch what I say up here. But we we have issues, sure, but we are a blessed people. We're blessed materially, but we're very blessed spiritually. You think of this, that this morning, well, probably while we were sleeping in the Middle East and in in the Far East, there were people who are just as Christian as you, who had to sneak into their church and had to whisper the songs that they sing and had to keep their voices down when they began to study the Word of God. These are real issues that people have to deal with, but we don't have to deal with them. We get to come to beautiful churches. Not hidden. I mean, we we prepare all week long for this service. We mow yards and we make noise and we fuel buses for this day. We're not hiding what we're doing this morning. And it's only because of God's blessings that is the case. I believe that we belong to the greatest country in the world. We have freedoms. I, I say this all the time. Our boys are the best. And what I mean when I say that is the men and the women that fight for our freedom are the best in the world. Amen. When compared to others, they are the best. And they don't do it because they're told to do it. Most cases, this is volunteer basis. I'm going to serve my country because I love my country. We belong to the greatest country in the world. Well, we got problems, though. And you don't have to look very long to see those problems. We're a great country, but we are not a perfect country. We have issues. And it seems like when I turn on the TV or get on the internet, everybody has answers for those issues. Everybody that can't do anything about it has an answer at least. (laughs) They'll tell our president how he should run the country. Even, uh, I believe it was yesterday at uh, John McCain's funeral, it seemed like everybody was giving our president advice with every speech they gave on how he should change and what he should do. Everybody has answers to solutions that they cannot fix. But I wonder if anybody is asking the right questions. Everybody wants to answer things, but who is asking the right questions? This morning I just simply want to speak to you on this topic. The three questions that we all should be asking, they are this, they are the same questions that Gideon found himself asking. Number one, if we're going to fix these problems in our country and in our homes and in our lives, the first question we should ask is the question of abounding problems. Gideon says it like this, Oh my Lord, if, if the Lord be with us, here's the first question, why then is all of this befallen us? Why are we here? You see, God had promised to Moses that they would go into the land and they would drive out the inhabitants of the land. And while the spies were hesitant and apprehensive on that, Joshua and Caleb stood up with faith beyond our, our understanding. And they said, if God be for us, who can be against us? We'll, we'll take the land because God is on our side. He's not on their side. And even when they went into Jericho, if you'll remember, uh, it was Rahab... Uh, 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 was it Rahab? I'm, thinking, I'm not getting stories mixed up. <laughs> it was Rahab that said... We know that the Lord's already delivered our city into your hands. And the question isn't if you're going to take our city. The question is when you're going to take our city. And that was the power of God. And yet Gideon, now two generations removed from those days of glory, looks back and says, I hear that the Lord is with us. But if he's with us, why are all these problems around us? You see, in verse uh, number one, I believe it is, we find that they had been in a bondage to the Midianites, if not an actual physical bondage, certainly a bondage where they would come in and take over the land for periods of time for seven years. Gideon says, if God's really with us, why do all of these problems abound? He mentions three problems specifically. Then, uh, Verse number one, we find... Here's the first problem, and the, Lord, uh, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Number one, they were a wicked nation. That's a problem. Amen. For the nation that is supposed to belong to God, God's chosen nation, it was an issue that they were wicked. You see, God's plan for evangelizing the world was that He would work through them, and their love and their commitment for Him would draw others to Him. They would see that how could anybody in such a small nation, such a small people, be so overwhelmingly dominant in every area of life? And they would say, it's all to the glory of God. And yet that's not what we see here. We see a people that are just wicked beyond all imagination. We find a people that bow to wicked and corrupt gods or deities like Baal and Ashtaroth. Both of them involved in worship, uh, they both required fornication to worship them. And that's where the children of Israel are. Unless we judge them too heavily, America's not far from that. You see, I was doing a little research and uh, every year, three quarters of a million babies are legally aborted in our nation legally aborted in our nation. Every year, 80,000 people die because of alcohol-related causes. And that's just the deaths. That's not speaking of the lives that are ruined by alcoholism. Our country is a long way from where we should be. We are founded on God's word and God's principles, but reality is our standards no longer match up to that it was one source reported that 22% of married men and 14% of married women have, com- uh, have committed an act of adultery at least one time in their marriage. Almost one in four men said that they had done that. Every second, 28,000 people log onto a computer to view pornographic material. Wow. Over 2.5 billion emails are sent every day containing pornographic material. You see, we're a long way from where we should be. The first problem that they had was the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and we are just like Israel. We are a wicked nation and we're a long way from God. And that's the number one reason why all of these problems have befallen us is because we are not where we should be morally. Number two, not only does he say that they were a wicked nation, but... That You see, they had weak homes. In verse number 2, the Bible says, "...and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens, which are in the mountains, and caves, and strongholds." Now, do you think when God was telling Moses about this promised land, do you think that's the idea that Moses had about the promised land? Do you think that if you would have told Moses when we get into the promised land there's going to be uh, streams flowing with milk and honey? Man, I'm telling you, it's going to be wonderful. The grapes and all the fruits. It's just such a bountiful land. And, and we're going to have such beautiful homes in the ridges and the caves of the mountains. No, 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 no. This is a, this is a sad thing that they're, they're, they're having to live in the mountains for fear of the Midianites. They cannot build homes because if they do, the Midianites will come and destroy their homes. So they're resorting to natural homes as much as they can. And this is a terrible shame that their homes are wrecked because of the situation in their country. You know, it's kind of amazing we live in this area. I remember when Joshua was primarily cattle pasture. I remember when Burleson didn't have an academy, and if you wanted to eat at a nice restaurant, you had to drive up to Hewlin to eat at the Red Lobster. Boy, I love them cheddar biscuits (laughs) so. I remember when around our area, I mean, our church went to Jose's and Dairy Queen after, and everybody remembers those days as if, like, oh, our church was just so much closer. No, that's the only two restaurants we had to choose from. And we went to Jose's or Dairy Queen. Those are the only two places you could go. I remember those days. But now you drive through our communities and, and they're building homes on top of homes now. Amen. And these aren't just like normal homes. I mean, these are beautiful homes. Amen. You see signs that say, starting at $300,000 for these homes and these developments. And you just think, I mean, it's a blessing as a preacher because we say, hey, more people coming in that we can reach with the gospel. But, but can you imagine... You could look around even in Godly, and I went to school in Godly, okay? Godly, I mean, all that was down there were steers. You secular bunch. There just wasn 't anything in Godly. Mandy knocked down every mailbox between here and there because there was only like three. Now you go to godly, and they're building developments in godly. It's unreal. And while I drive through these communities, and I see that we know how to build beautiful houses, America has lost the blueprint on how to build good homes. Our mothers and their fathers, they stay gone from their home to pay for the home that they're never in. Our children know much more about their devices than they do the Bible. And our homes are falling apart at the seams. Dads can't talk to moms, and kids don't want to talk to the parents. It's just a crying shame. We are like Israel. Our homes are falling apart at the seams because of the many problems that have beset us. Not only were they a wicked nation and they had weak homes, number three, they had wasted effort. In verse number 3 through 5, you can read it if you want, but basically any time they would plant, any work that they would put forth, it would grow just a little bit and the Midianites would come upon them and the Bible references like grasshoppers would come upon them and, and, and the Midianites would, with their livestock, consume any work that the children of Israel had done. If they planted seed and the seed came up a little bit, the Midianites would bring their livestock down to graze that seed. Just a shame that all this effort and all this work would go in and it would completely go out the door with no profit to be shown for it. We are a blessed people here in America. We have more than probably any nation has ever had. And yet it's unreal that we have more junk than ever and people are more unhappy than ever. What the generations before us pursued, they said to themselves, I'll leave something for my children because then they'll be happy. But what I look at is I see those generations before us and in their pursuit for the stuff we have, they were happy. Now we have it and we're miserable. The Bible says in the Old Testament book of Haggai, verse number 6 of chapter number 1, it says, Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in a bag with holes. Yes. Right. We are making more. I heard the other day the minimum wage in California is $15. And yet, we have people that are in more debt now than ever before in history. Something's wrong. You know what it is? We have wasted effort. God's blessed us beyond all reason of doubt. And and in fact, I think maybe a little bit of it is the devil blessing us. You say, what do you mean? Well, if the devil can get you looking at materialism, why do you have to he doesn't worry about your Christianity? Amen. If materialism is your primary religion, he's not worried about your relationship with Christ. Amen. So we look at all these benefits of everything, and yet I find that the Christians with the most are often the least happy. Amen. Yep. We have problems, folks. We have the question of abounding problems. And and Gideon asks it this way. <clears throat> If God is really for us, why then is all this befallen us? Number one, a question of abounding problems. Number two, the question of absent miracles. He says in verse number 13, not only does he say it like this, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And then he says, and where be all his miracles? You see, Gideon was not ignorant to the fact that he served the true God. Gideon was not ignorant to the fact that the true God had power to do whatever he wanted to. The Bible says it like this. If God be for us, who can be against us? With men this is impossible. With God all things are possible. Gideon knew that he served that kind of God. And Gideon knew that he had that type of power. And Gideon just simply asked the question like this. If God is really working for us, where are all the miracles I've heard so much about? In America, we have more religion than we've ever had. You see, the fact is God's not hurting for power. He's hurting for people. And it's not because there's not a lot of people that claim to be a Christian. It's just that the legitimacy and authenticity of that Christianity is just not there. In California and in Texas alone, there are over 425 megachurches. And for this statistic, a megachurch is any church with over 2,000 members. Joel Olstein has over 20 million fans of his Facebook page. Now, if all of those Facebook followers are in the United States of America, that means that one in every 15 people in the United States of America follows Joel Olstein. One in every 15, according to the 2010 United States census, uh, census. One in 15 people claim or have some connection to Christianity. There's churches everywhere. Even you drive through our community. There's a church with a bridge under the water church. And there's a church of the uh, seventh day of the Adventist church. And there's a church of Christ, which I thought ours was the church that Christ started. But let's not get into that. And there's the Methodist church. And there's non-denominational churches, which who knows what they believe. They don't even know what they believe. But there's all sorts of churches. We're not hurting for religion. And yet I have to ask the question like Gideon. If everybody is connected to God, where is all the power at? Amen. If, if God is really working in America, where be all His miracles? Yeah. Why do we have so many Christian men still trapped in pornography? Why do we have so many Christian men that still struggle with alcoholism? Why are we at this place where all these problems exist and we look at it and we say, No, we live in the greatest country of all time and and God's really a blessing. I'm telling you right now, based upon the problems and the lack of power in our society, I don't know that God is working for us anymore. Where are we at? How far have we come? The Bible says it like this. Jesus says all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. The Bible says God hath put Christ in heavenly places for he is above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things to the church. If the church has as many members as it has, why are we not seeing more for the glory of God accomplished? It's just a shame. And there's complete lack of power in Christians' lives. We have no power to pray. We have no power to witness. It's a shame that we go to McDonald's and we actually question within ourselves whether we're going to bow our head and pray over our lunch. We dare not speak to our friends about what they believe because we don't want to offend them. Where be all His many miracles? There's a complete lack of power. Number one, the question of abounding problems. Number two, the question of absent miracles. Number three, the question of apparent bondage. Notice in verse number 13, he says it like this He says, O oh Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then, uh, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us? Saying, here's the next question Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Didn't God bring us out of bondage? I thought the whole reason for the promised land was that I would be able to come out of bondage and and be able to serve the Lord with gladness and be able to live the life of of glory that the Bible tells me about. I thought all of that work and all the Red Sea crossing and all the plagues, I thought all that was to get us out of a bad situation and yet we're right back in the same situation. Midianites oppress us. In fact, if you look in your Bible, you'll find in verse number 11, this is where Gideon at, is at when the angel approaches him. The Bible says, Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, we don't maybe know all that, that goes into that, but let me explain to you the difference between a wine press and a threshing floor. How many of y'all have ever seen that great episode of I Love Lucy where they're smushing grapes, okay? we got to get real theological with it, okay? Uh, that's a wine press. It's some sort of, uh, 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 maybe sometimes it's dug out of the earth. Maybe sometimes, I think in that case, it's like a basket, a large basket. But whatever it is, there's a container, if you will. They put the grapes in it and they press the grapes. Sometimes they step on them. Sometimes they smush them with instruments so that the juice runs out of them. That is a wine press. Now, a threshing floor is totally different. Oftentimes, a threshing floor was a large rock a flat rock, and they would go where the wind would blow, so oftentimes in a very open area so that the wind would blow. And you say, well, what does that matter? Well, because what they were doing is they would put the wheat on the threshing floor, and they would somehow aggravate that seed. They would maybe hit it with an instrument. They could even uh, ruffle it around. Sometimes they would bring livestock and step on the seed. And what they were doing was they were separating the seed from the chaff. If you don't know what a chaff is, the chaff is a, 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 like a, a paper cocoon that protects the seed. And so what they were doing is they were trying to remove the seed from that paper surrounding. And they would do that by aggravating it. And what the wind helped do was blow the paper seed away so that only the seed remained. You see, the paper covering would blow away because it was so light, but the seed would remain on the threshing floor. Now most times they did this in wide open areas so the wind could blow. And yet we find Gideon, for fear of the Midianites, he's back over in the low spot behind the wine press, so as not to be seen by the Midianites, because he's afraid of them. And it's not that he's just a fearful guy. He's actually a pretty smart guy. He's doing something at a location where he might not be found. I like the fact that he had not just resigned himself to the fact that they were going to destroy it. But he's trying to figure out uh, solutions to problems. That's the kind of guy Gideon is. I read this yesterday. It has nothing to do with the sermon. But you study your Bible, you'll find that God comes to people who are doing something. Amen. He pulled out Elisha from uh, 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 behind a plow. The, fish, the, the, the apostles, the disciples, they were fishing. You find here Gideon was threshing. God finds people that are doing something. Let me ask you a question. What are you doing right now? God uses people that are doing something. What are you doing? And Gideon's over there threshing wheat in a place he ought not be threshing wheat. It's an impractical place. It's an inefficient place. But he's doing it for fear of the Midianites. And and God says, Oh, I'm with you, you mighty men of Valor. And Gideon says this, If you're really with us, why are we right back to the same place our forefathers came from? We're in spiritual oppression. We're we're in a place that we're not enjoying. Why are we here? I like the fact that God comes to one man to tell him his solution. You say, what? what does that matter? Well, I want you to read with me in verse number 12 through 16, kind of God's solution. I'm not going to come up here and preach a sermon to you about all the problems in America without telling you the solution for America, okay? I'm not up here to complain about abortion and adultery and uh, alcoholism and all these things and say, look at all that's wrong without telling you how the Bible says we can fix it. So here, verse number 12 says this. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, I'm sorry, we'll go in verse 14 because we've already read verse 13. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You want to know who else? The kind of people that God comes to? People that have that kind of answer. Saul, David. People that look at God and say, Who, I'm nobody. Jeremiah, he says, I am but a youth. I, I cannot speak for I am but a youth. Moses, he says, oh, Lord, I'm not an eloquent man. I can't speak well. God comes to people that are busy, and God comes to people that are humble. Amen. And he tells Gideon, he says, oh, you're going you're to do great things. You're going you're to save these people. And Gideon says, I'm nobody. I can't do that. And verse number 16 And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Now here's what happens. Oftentimes, we look at all the problems around us and we say, there's no way I can have any tangible impact. What can I do about the situation that is so much bigger than me? Well, God told us. You do you. You can't control your neighbor. I've tried. See, my neighbors have small chihuahua dogs that get in my trash. You can't control what people around you do. You know what you can control? You. Amen. Good. Our America's got problems. You want to know how to fix those problems? You be the solution to a problem. You shall save your people. You go in your might and you shall save Israel as one man. Years ago, the army had a slogan. You're probably familiar with it. For two decades, this slogan ran as the the army motto and it was this, be all that you can be. That's a good slogan. I like that. In 2001, though, they noticed a drop in recruiting. So they thought that maybe that slogan had ran its course and so they... They came up with a new one. They paid $150 million for this advertising campaign with this motto, an army of one. And you got to do it in like your movie phone voice, an army of one. Yeah. They did that. They had noticed a drop in recruits, so they changed it to that. They decided to put a new logo with it. They started a website called goarmy.com. They made it a much more interactive website. They had commercials. One of them played on Sunday Night Football. One of them played on MTV. One of them played uh, in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer," as odd as that might sound. but, but they, they play these and friends, so there you go, I'll be there for you. Uh, so was the Army. And and, and so they played these, and they kind of dressed their advertising up. They thought, we'll appeal to the next generation. And this was the reason. In the early 2000s, the reason they chose that slogan was they wanted to appeal to the individualism of those youth. Everybody wanted their own way. Everybody wanted to be their own person. So the army catered to that and said, an army of one. Five years Later, in 2005, actually, the Army had its lowest ever recruitment, came farther away from meeting its recruitment goal than it ever had before, and in 2006, they changed it. Now, this time, they had to correct what they did, so they paid an advertising agency $1 billion. Yes, that's billion with a B a five-year contract to advertise this slogan, Army Strong. I wonder why an army of one didn't stick. You know why? It takes courage to stand alone. It's hard to stand alone. When those around you aren't doing what's right, it's hard to do what's right. When you're the only one in your home standing for righteousness, it's hard to be that one. When you're the only one at work that won't say those things and won't do those things and won't go those places, it's hard to stand alone and be the army of one. But I'm just convinced this morning that there should be people in this room that not only ask the right questions and say, Lord, if you are truly working in America, why is all this befallen us? And where be all the many miracles? And why are we right back to where we came from? And why why are we still in bondage? I I just wonder this morning if there's not somebody that should look at the question and say, I cannot control my neighbor and I cannot control my co workers. The only person I can control is me. So, by the glory of God, I'm going to do me, and I'm going to do me as much as I can for the glory of God. I wonder if there would be somebody this morning that would look back through Scripture and see that throughout Scripture, God often uses one man stepping out in faith to do something great for him. You see, Abraham stepped out in faith. Noah stepped out in faith. When everybody else around him was apostate and wicked, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he was a preacher of righteousness. Abraham followed God's call on his life and showed faith in extreme circumstances. And when everybody else looked at him and said, oh, you can't do it, Abraham. Abraham followed after God. I just wonder if somebody would look at a life like Joseph where uh, 11 other brothers look at him and say Joseph you just shut up, stop dreaming and Joseph said no I've got a dream and the Lord's going to do something great in my life and he ends up in the pit and he ends up in the prison but somewhere along the way God somehow puts him in the palace so that what others meant for evil, God meant for good. I wonder if there would be an Esther in the room this morning that would look at their life and say I may not be in the greatest circumstances but maybe God put me here for such a time as this and I wonder if there'd be somebody this morning that would just look at the situation around them and like Elijah say, sure there's 450 prophets of Baal, sure there's 400 prophets of Ashtaroth. but I'm going to stand on Mount Carmel and I'm going to preach and I'm going to pray and God's going to do something in my life. And I just wonder this morning if somebody would be the one that God could do something through. That's what we need, Christian We cannot control Donald Trump. We cannot control past presidents or the next president. We cannot control our politicians. We cannot control anyone. The only person we can control is you. So this morning, are we asking the right questions? And this morning, are we willing to face that the answer lies within you? Can't fix the problems around you. All you can fix is you. And God does great things through the person that will commit to him.